Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we acknowledge just that worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb to receive honor and glory and praise. Lord, may your name be lifted up and exalted above every other name. Lord, make us small, make us nothing. But Lord, let your glory be great. Oh, Father, today as we come to open up your word, may we stand under the authority of your word and may it transform our lives so that we might live lives that honor and glorify You, that worship You, not just in this place, but wherever we go. Lord, may we live in such a way that we honor and worship You and that the nations would give praise to Your glory. Oh, Lord. Open our hearts today, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're looking at verses 14 through 16 this morning. 14 through 16. As we continue our study, discovering joy. Today we're looking at rejoice in God's provision and promise. Rejoice in God's provision and promise. As you find that, if you would stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. And may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. We live in a, a society of discontentment. A society of discontentment. Uh, you think about it. We are one of the most affluent societies in the world. Uh, even the poorest of our poor is richer than most people in, throughout the world. We have everything that we possibly could want, generally. But yet, we are never satisfied. We always want more. Always want a little bit more. A little nicer car. A little nicer truck. A, a, a slightly bigger house. Just a, a little bit bigger. If I just had a little more room in the living room. If I had just a little more room in the dining room. If, just a little more. We're never content. Never content. 
You, you go to Walmart, and, and you get in the line at Walmart, and oh my goodness gracious, if you have to wait more than two minutes to check out, why don't they start up another line? My goodness, i got things to do. We're never satisfied. We always want more. I think our affluency makes us want more, makes us less patient and less content. But despite our societies, despite the discontentment of our world around us, we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to contentment. We're not to be like the rest of the world. But we're to find contentment in what God has given us, what He has provided for us, therefore shining like a bright light to this lost world. Dear friends, we need to rejoice in God's provision and promise as followers of Jesus Christ today. Today, this is what I hope we learn Dear friend, in all that you do, live in contentment, trusting in God's provision and promise. Say that again. In all that you do, dear Christian, live in contentment, trusting in God's provision and promise. Now, as we begin to look at this passage this morning then, First of all, that we see, the first thing that we see here is that in all that you do, as a follower of Jesus Christ, in all that you do, trust in God's provision. Trust in God's provision. I think that's what Paul is getting at here right off the bat in this passage. Do, that's the, the, the command there that he is giving. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, quit complaining. Quit complaining, Paul is telling this church. Quit your complaining and quit your fighting amongst yourselves. You see, they were becoming discontent. They were starting to, to get in little arguments and, and disunity was starting to disrupt the church. And so as Paul has been telling them to, to, to or exhorting them to spiritual unity, he kind of gets to the problem, quit your complaining. Quit your complaining. This, of course, is an Old Testament reference, if you haven't caught that. Do, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you think back to your Old Testament studies in the, in the time of Israel as they came out of Egypt and they were headed to the land of promise, that whole time that they traveled, all the 40 years that they were out there in the wilderness, what was it marked by? It was marked by grumbling against God. In fact, in or excuse me, Exodus, I'll go there and it should be on the screen, Exodus chapter 16. Verses 1 through 7, we get a picture. Now, understand, the people of Israel, they've come out of Egypt. They have seen God do miraculous works, all the plagues that He, he cast down upon the Egyptians. And, and He made distinction, didn't he? he? He put plagues upon the Egyptians, but He, he left off 
Israel. Israel was not touched by the plagues. They, they saw all of these things. They were at the, the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were coming up behind them, and God sent down a, a firebolt, a, a, a cloud to stand between them and the Egyptians, and he parted the Red Sea while holding off the Egyptians so that the Israelites walked through on dry ground. And then once they got to the other side, he let the Egyptians through and, and drowned the Egyptians. He delivered the people of Israel from their enemies. At this point, he had brought them. They had gone to a place and they were thirsty. They had no water. So you had the waters of Mir was it Mirabah, I think that's how you say that. And he, the waters were polluted. And so he said, throw this stick, throw this log in the waters, and it will become pure. And so God provided water for them. But then they come to this time. Verse 1 of chapter 16. They set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Now they have completely forgotten what life was like in the land of Egypt. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They had heavy labors under hard taskmasters, and yet they say they grumble against Moses and Aaron saying, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling, not against Aaron and Moses, your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And I'm going to go on here just a little piece. And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him, what are, you, are, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but, it, but against the Lord. And if you continue on through that chapter and in, even on into the other chapter, you see grumbling, 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 grumbling. The people are constantly grumbling against the Lord. They're grumbling against the Lord. 
They're complaining. You're not taking care of us. You're not giving us what we want. God always gives them what they need, but He wasn't giving them what they want. In fact, if you go on through there, you'll begin to read, and, and eventually they become tired of this manna from heaven, this bread of God that they describe it in the Bible, and, and the way they describe it, it it's kind of like heaven in your mouth, right? And they, they grow tired of the manna from heaven and they complain more and more. Oh, we're, all we got is this bread day in and day out. Constantly they're complaining and complaining. Even when they get to the land of promise, they send out the spies into the land of promise and the spies come back with a bad report and again they complain. You brought us out of Egypt to die at the hands of the Canaanites and the Philistines and all of these people in the land. Oh, how dissatisfied. How discontent the people of God can be. Here, even in the New Testament, we see the people complaining. They're beginning to fight amongst themselves because they're dissatisfied with God's provision. How about you? How often in your own life do you become discontent with the Lord and His provisions? With all that you have, how often do you complain? Well, it's not big enough. Oh, I don't have enough. The, f- the steak is not juicy enough. How often do you complain? You have to understand, dear friend, when we complain, when we complain, we are complaining, not just kind of vaguely, not just kind of, oh, I'm just tired of this. No, it, you're complaining against the Lord. You are complaining against the ruler of the universe who is all sovereign. He is over all things. He provides you with everything. And when you complain because you don't have it quite the way you want it, you are complaining just as the people of Israel complained against the Lord. Lord, I don't trust You. I don't trust You. You're not giving me enough. When we complain, we're showing our lack of faith in our God. Quit complaining. Furthermore, it shows our desire for the things of the world. Our desire for the things of the world over our desire for God. James chapter 1, or excuse me, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire or you want. And do not have, so you murder. 
You covet and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters, for you'll love one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and the material things of this world. You see, here's our problem. We begin to look around us and we begin to look at the other people around us and we see what Joe over here has and, and Sue over here has and we begin to think, well, I don't have that. I, don't, I want that. I see, I want, I want, I want. We begin to want the material things of this world instead of being satisfied in God and what He gives us freely out of His good grace. We say, it's not enough. You're not enough, God. We want more. We must quit our complaining and live in contentment. We must live in contentment. We must be satisfied with what God has blessed us with. And the, how do we do this? How do we do this? And, and let me just say this, because it's awful quiet in here today. I'm stepping on toes. I see that. Let me tell you and let you understand that I stomped on my own toes all week this week as I've been studying this passage. God crushed me for my own discontentment. Because things aren't moving at the pace that I think they should move with certain things. And God said, you're not trusting me. You're not trusting me. We must live in contentment. We must quit our complaining and live in contentment. This requires us to mortify the flesh. To kill and destroy the flesh. To crucify it on Calvary's cross. Galatians 5.24, Paul says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do you become content in Christ? How do you become, become content with God's blessings, all that He gives you in life? You crucify the flesh. You get up day in and day out, and you say, Today, God, my life is yours, and I'm going to be satisfied in you. I'm going to put away, I'm going to crucify my worldly desires. My wants for all of the vain things of this world. And I'm going to trust you, God, that you have given me everything I need. We must mortify the flesh and we must trust God's provisions. We must trust God's provisions. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke. Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel. 
chapter 12. I want to look at verses 22 through 23. Luke chapter 12. Verse 22 through 23, Jesus is dealing with this very thing about being anxious for the things of this world. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Jesus says, And He said to His disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Your life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as a small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Let us not be so worried about the things of this world, the possessions of this world. We have so much. How can we, of all people in the world, complain when we have so much? Yet we cannot go a day without complaining. It's too wet. It's too dry. It's too cold. It's too hot. Constantly complaining. God is sovereign. He is in control. Trust Him. Trust Him. And be content with His glorious blessing that He pours out upon you night and day. May He be our glorious treasure above everything else. Trust in God's provision. In all that you do, trust in His provision. And second, trust in God's promise. Trust in God's promise. Back to Philippians there. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the Word of life. Trust God's promise. Trust God's promise and quit sinning. That's what he's getting at here. Quit sinning. 
Quit with your lack of faith and trust in God. Quit sinning against God. Our sinning represents just that. Our distrust in God. It does. Our lack of faith in Him to provide and to give to the very last Word of God. When we sin against God's Word, we are sinning against Him, saying, we do not trust you, God. For example, we go out here on the, on the highway, and there's a speed limit sign posted. It says 55 miles an hour. Well, you see that speed limit sign that a person, someone, I don't know who, someone in some government official somewhere has determined that the safe speed for this stretch of highway is 55 miles an hour. But you and I, we step on the gas, we press it a little bit further. 55 is not good enough. What are we saying? We are saying we don't trust that official wherever he is, whoever he or she is. We don't trust them that 55 is the safe speed upon which we should travel. That's what we're saying, isn't it? We're saying, I know better than that person. I know better than those officials. I know better. I'm going to go 70. Well, what about when you read the Word of God? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not gossip. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. What about when you hear those commandments from the Lord? who gives His law not just to, just to see if we'll follow along with it. He's not just putting those out there so that, that He can hold it over our heads. That's not. He gives it to us for our good. He created us. He gave us life. And He gives us His law because His law is what is good. It is good for one man be, to be with one woman for a lifetime. It is good for that. God has given us that law for our good. It is good that we not gossip and run one another into the ground. It is good. Yet how often do we spurn the law of God? We read it and we just cast it aside. I don't trust you that that is for my good. I want to do my own thing, God. must trust God's promise that every word of this book is for our good. And we must put away sin and live for His glory. Again, this is a reference to an Old Testament passage. Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is the, the song of Moses. And Moses gives this song to the Israelites as they go into the land of promise and, and he goes off to die. He gives them this song to sing. And in chapter 32, verse 4 and 5, just read this little portion of it. The rock is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. 
A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is He. They have dealt corruptly with Him. They are no longer His children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Now, He's looking at the the rest of mankind. He's looking at all of mankind and and the condition, our condition, outside of Christ. We are a crooked and twisted generation. The people of this world, the people of this world who are living in active rebellion against God, they are a twisted and crooked generation. They're not living the straight path. They're not living according to the way God created them to live. They're off. They're crooked. They're bent. And Paul is saying, you're not to be like the crooked and twisted generation, but you're to stand out. You're to quit sinning. Quit your rebellion. Turn away from all of that and live for God. Jesus says this in John's Gospel. Read this quickly. John chapter uh, 17, verses 14 through 19. Jesus in His high priestly prayer. I have given them Your Word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that You take them out of the world, but that You keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Make them holy in the truth. Your Word is truth. As You sent Me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate Myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Dear friend, Christ Jesus came and died on the cross so that we might have life in Him. No longer death. No longer living according to the passions of this flesh which leads to death, eternal death. But He came and gave His life on Calvary's cross to give us life in God. To give us the ability to quit sinning. To trust in Him. To become holy. No, never in perfection in this life, but gradually more and more through the power of the Spirit working in us, we become holy. We, we quit sinning more and more and more. And that's to be our goal. Far too many Christians have given up on the goal. They haven't even acknowledged the goal. Oh, if I just go down and say this little prayer, if I just go be baptized, if I just have my name on the roll, then all is good, right? I don't need to to be sanctified. I don't need to to get sin out of my life. I don't need to, to live all holy. God created us to be holy. He created us to be like Christ. Christ died on the cross to make us holy. Quit sinning. Quit sinning and live in obedience. 
trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and obeying the word of God that he has given us. Dear friend, are you living in God's word? Are you allowing God's Word to be over you, to stand over you, to influence and and inform you on how you ought to live? If you're not in it day in and day out, that's not you. Get in God's Word. Let God's Word stand over you and inform you so that you might quit sinning and become more like Christ. Trust in God's promise. In all that you do, trust in God's provision. Trust in God's promise. And third, live as a light unto the world. Live as a light unto the world. Now, a lot of times we see this image in the Christian store, but uh, you have the image here of the lighthouse. Long before the days of of radar and sonar and all of these different R's, you had a simple lighthouse out on the seashore, shining its light by night, so that the ships who were out there in the sea could know the way back home to land and, and know where the land was so they wouldn't run into the land and drowned. But that light was was to guide them along the way to to be a light to to safe harbor. And that's what God calls us to be, a light unto the world. Do not do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why do we become holy? Why do we strive for holiness? Why do we quit sinning? Why do we want to live in contentment? It's not to win merit with God. We can't win merit with God. Christ has won all the merit for us that we can win with God. He has done it all. We don't do these things so that, so, so that God can look at us and say, oh, how good you are. We do it so that the world can look at us and say, my, what a God you have. That's why we do it. We don't do it to glorify ourselves. So don't think I'm preaching this and wanting you to become legalistic. It's not the purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God in Christ. We want to shine the light of God's glory in this world so that the world may see Him and come to know Him Worship Him and glorify Him. We are to be a light of God's goodness as we live out our faith in the world, being content in God, trusting in God's provisions, trusting in God's promises. We're to be a light of God's goodness. Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works. And what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Give glory to God. Not give you glory. Not pat you on the back. But worship Him. Praise Him. Praise God for His goodness as they see His goodness working its way out in you and in your life. Live as a light unto the world. 
a light of God's goodness and a light of God's grace. A light of God's grace. We're not as we are living in contentment, as we are living content with God's what God has given us, His provisions and His promises. We're not to use that to beat it over the head of the lost, to be all judgmental. You see, we can get there, right? We can get too holy for our own good, I guess, sometimes. And we begin to, to think much of ourselves, not giving glory to God. But we give glory to ourselves and we get built up in what we do. And we get to look down our noses at others. And, and we begin to hit them over the head with the Bible. Oh, you're not doing this. You're not doing that. That's not where we're supposed to be. We're not to live in judgment of the world. They have a judge. But we're to shine the light of God's goodness and the light of God's grace in the world. As we see people sin against us, we're not to sin back. We're not to retaliate against them, but we're to show God's grace and mercy that He has shown us. We're to be a light of God's goodness and a light of God's grace, showing grace to all. In all that you do, dear friend, trust in God's provision. Trust in God's promise. Live as a light unto the world. And fourth, live for the day of Christ. Live for the day of Christ. And I know we've covered this over and over the last few Sundays, but it's worth repeating. Live for the day of Christ. Just as Paul here. Notice his last words there. Holding fast to the word of life so that for this reason, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is living for the day of Christ, serving as our example that we ought to live for the day of Christ. That is our aim. That is our goal. Make Christ your prize. Make Christ your prize, your greatest treasure, and then run that race with all of your might. Make Him your prize and run the race of life with all of your might so that you might get all of Christ. See Jesus for who He is. All the things of this world. Every worldly desire that you complain you don't have. That I complain that I don't have. Pales in comparison to the value of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Live for the day of Christ. Make Christ your great treasure and run with all of your might to Christ. And all that you do, dear friend, glorify Christ. Glorify Christ. Brendan Manning once said this 
the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny Him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. What about your life, dear friend? What about your life? Are you living in such a way that the world, when they look at you, they, they see the light of Christ shining in your life? In all that you do, live in contentment, trusting in God's provision and promise. Trust in God's provisions that He provides for you day in and day out. Trust in God's promises that He has given you in His holy Word. And live as a light unto the world, shining the light of God's goodness and God's grace. And live for that glorious day of the Lord. Oh, May we all run to Christ to live for His glory above everything else. Oh, Heavenly Father. We acknowledge today, O oh Lord, that just as complaining and grumbling marked your people, Israel, thousands of years ago. Far too often, Lord, as we in this life, even understanding our freedom in Christ, oh, oh, how we take for granted all of your provisions. You've provided for us the greatest gift of all. You've provided us freedom from the bonds of sin. And yet, Lord, we do not trust You to give us the very basics of life. And we complain. Oh, Father, forgive us. We repent today, O oh Lord. And we pray, O oh God, that You would give us in the power of Jesus Christ, in the power that raised Him from the dead, Lord, You would give us the power to be content and to shine as lights of Your glory in this world full of discontentment. Lord, may we stand out May we stand out as lights of your glory and grace. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps you're here today and you have lived a life completely in sin and today you don't know the love of Christ. You don't know the freedom from sin. Never surrendered to Him. And I invite you to come make that commitment today. Or dear Christian, maybe you, like me, have felt the burden of your own discontentment. 
And today, you need to make a commitment to Christ. To trust Him. Trust Him in every part of your life. Come, make that commitment today. Brother. Man, let's stand together as we respond to God's Word this